0: Speaking of God being exalted, are you ready for a new series on the subject of fasting? Yeah? Are you sure? No? Because if God does make things plain to us and you have the stark realization that, oh no, I think fasting might be for me then, but yeah, let's see if we can hear what God is saying about fasting. So let's, uh, let's read a scripture together, shall we? We'll, we'll read from James chapter 1, uh, verse 1. Let's read aloud. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings, Jason, can we just flip back to the first screen? Thank you. Like so many passages in the Bible, this one is encouraging and challenging at the same time. It has a promise and it has a warning too. And unless you disagree, can I be confident in saying that we all experience trials? and that we all experience double-mindedness. Yeah? On the face of of it, trials and double-mindedness seem to be humanity's default position. Trials and double-mindedness. And even as a born-again Christian, it's not our natural tendency to consider a trial pure joy. is it? Is it? Not really, but according to James, not only can a Christian experience joy in a trial, but with the help of God, we can persevere to the point where we experience maturity, completeness, and not lacking anything. That's an amazing promise, isn't it? But it comes, as we know, with a stark warning as well. Maybe that amazing promise of persevering and receiving maturity with the help of God, this completeness and not lacking anything, maybe that's where some of our joy comes from, seeing this amazing transformation happening when we turn to Jesus in the midst of our trials. When we look at him and focus on him, we're becoming more and more like him from glory to glory, faith to faith. Maybe that's where some of this joy comes from, knowing that this awful situation is producing an even more closeness with the Lord as I seek him and his help, and he's transforming me, and I'm beholding him, gazing him. And what does James say God wants to give generously to all in the midst of our trials to help facilitate this amazing, joyful, maturing process? does James say? Wisdom. Whose wisdom? God's wisdom. Not just any old wisdom, but God's wisdom. Because according to the Bible, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's at least two types of wisdom. There's God's wisdom, and then there's worldly wisdom, which it says in 2 Corinthians. And it also says God's wisdom and human wisdom, as it says in 1 Corinthians. So there's God's wisdom, and then there's another type of wisdom, which is human, worldly wisdom. Okay. Let's just skip a couple of chapters to James chapter 3. James himself talks about two types of wisdom. In James 3, 13, and it'll be on the screen, I think. Yes. It says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. All right. That was meant to bring, drag the board up. And, uh, okay. So, one of the things that comes from God's wisdom is... Humility, not false humility that is constantly putting yourself down when actually you just want people to lift you up kind of thing. Someone offers you 20 quid. You really want it, but you have to say no, don't you? It's a gift. But no, 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 it Come me again. I might say yes this time. But that's, that's false humility, isn't it? Humility is actually being able to receive a gift joyfully, knowing that the giver... Good job I was standing there, wasn't it? Okay, i have to scare you at least once with my mishaps each sermon. Okay, so wisdom from God. Let's put wisdom. Wisdom from God. Okay, so humility. Humility comes from God's wisdom. But, don't turn there, but remember what James said. See if you can list. Some of the other things that comes from receiving God's wisdom. Can you remember? Just call them out if you can. What else comes from receiving God's wisdom in the midst of trials? Perseverance, yes. Okay. Is it an ENC or an ANC? Okay, don't worry. I can rub that out and put an A. Perseverance, what else? You cheating, fads. Okay. Maturity, okay, maturity comes from God's wisdom in a trial. Maturity, anything else? Character, is that what James lists? In your version, it died. Okay, we'll have it. Oh, yeah, he's cheating, isn't he? No, he's, probably, he's got a good memory, Stephen. Okay, character. What else? Not lacking anything. Lacking nothing. Completeness. Lacking nothing. I, th- I think there was joy, wasn't there, as well? Can we, we can expect, consider it pure joy in these trials? Okay, that'll do. All right. From God's wisdom in trials can come... Perseverance, joy, maturity, completeness, lacking nothing, uh, making you building your character. All right. Where are we? We're in James three, aren't we? So that's James says humility that comes from wisdom. Okay, God's wisdom. Fourteen. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come from down from heaven, but is earthly unspiritual, and, and demonic. Okay. So, God's wisdom produces that in trials and in everyday life. Whereas there's another form of wisdom that is that is uh, earthly, human, even demonic, that produces, what have we got? Verse 16. Next page, yeah. For where you have envy and selfish ambition... There you find disorder and every evil practice. But, verse 17, the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. So there's worldly, earthly, even demonic wisdom, but there's also wisdom that comes from heaven. So where does God's wisdom originate from? Heaven. Okay. Let's. I'll. uh, Heaven. Okay. Then. Now, how does? How does? God's heavenly wisdom. Get from heaven to us. I think there's two main ways God's heavenly wisdom gets from heaven to us. Mike's holding up Bible. Yeah, scriptures. I will put Bible, God's word, God's written word, the Bible. Okay. Yeah, Fats is saying ask. Yes, James says ask. But the two main ways he gets it to us after we've asked, or even before we ask sometimes. The Bible. And yes, I would say the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is witnessing to you or speaking to you through someone else. Obviously, the Holy Spirit has already spoken through people who wrote the Bible. So he's written word, but also Holy Spirit's witness to us. Whether it's in, in, uh, in us or through someone else. Those are the two main ways. I think God's heavenly wisdom comes from heaven to us. Through the Bible, his written word, and through the witness of the Holy Spirit. Okay. Let's read verse 17 again. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. And this is the heaven-sent wisdom Every Christian needs to pursue from God, like Svaz says, ask from God, to find joy and maturity even in trials. Okay? We all need this amazing heaven-sent wisdom if we are going to persevere in trials and find the joy and the maturity and the completeness lacking nothing, okay? which comes from God's heavenly wisdom and wisdom. Not worldly wisdom from the earth, but God's from heaven. But it's not easy, is it? Or is it? It's as easy as asking, isn't it? No, from James. Is it really that easy? It's not complicated, yes. Because even though God wants to give his heavenly wisdom generously to all without finding fault, it says in James, Remember? Our default position of being double-minded is a real problem, isn't it? Because according to James, double-mindedness is incredibly problematic when expecting to receive anything from God. What did James say? Someone who's double-minded doesn't expect to receive anything from God. So our double-mindedness is a real problem, isn't it? When it comes to receiving this amazing heavenly wisdom to persevere, in our trials, and actually experience joy and maturity and completeness. Okay. Trials do not make it any easier, do that when it comes to our double-mindedness? They really do not help. If only there was something God's people could do to help receive his wisdom and combat double-mindedness and at the same time. Is there anything, potentially, that could help? God's people receive God's wisdom, hear his voice, and combat double-mindedness at the same time? Yeah, I'm looking for fasting. Prayer and fasting. Okay. Yeah. Guys, we love to rely just on prayer, don't we? But maybe there is fasting that goes along with something, well, along with prayer, to help us in our double-mindedness and help us to receive God's wisdom. Hear it and persevere with it and experience this joy and maturity again. I think the one thing that might fit the bill, and to help us in our journey of gaining wisdom and combating double mindedness, we need to turn to where wisdom is first mentioned in the Bible. Where do you think wisdom is first mentioned in the Bible? Am I looking right now? Gonna be in Proverbs, is that the first time wisdom is mentioned? Is that that's the same thing, isn't it? I don't know. Let's turn to Genesis, shall we? That's probably a good guess. Do you reckon wisdom is mentioned in Genesis? And you are really you guys are really slowing me down because we need to get through this, and it's quarter to <laughs> twelve already. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. come on, Jamie and her army are going to be marching in at 12 noon. Okay, Genesis chapter 3. It's not chapter 1. We've got to wait till Genesis 3 before wisdom is mentioned. Genesis 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. Now we know from Revelation that this particular serpent is the devil incarnate. The devil is is... is there uh, in the guise of a snake. And it's interesting to pause here and notice what God says happened to Satan's wisdom once upon a time. Okay? So you'd have to turn and keep your fingers in Genesis and the screen will show you Ezekiel 28. And this is what God says happened to Satan's wisdom once upon a time. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth I made a spectacle of you before kings. At one point, being one of God's top angels, Lucifer, now known as Satan, being in heaven and sharing God's wisdom, his heavenly wisdom, through his prideful rebellion against God, Satan corrupted his wisdom. And God threw him to the earth. Where he roams to and fro, we hear in James and in 1 Peter, filling the world with his corrupted wisdom. And what did James say about such wisdom? Remember, he said, Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. Does that sound like Satan? Full ambition. After having been thrown down to earth, to his own because of his own selfish ambition, now Satan seizes opportunity to offer mankind his corrupted wisdom. Yet often appealing wisdom. Okay. Back to Genesis chapter three. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? When we hear God's instruction directly from God's mouth, we hear the positive of being able to eat from any tree but one. Did you see what Satan did? He turned it into a negative, didn't he? As if God is stingy and mean. Verse 2, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the, sorry fruit from the trees in the garden. So Eve is correcting Satan. But then Eve adds, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. Yeah, and as Diane is saying, God didn't actually say the touch it bit. Eve rightly corrects the devil's negatively skewed version of God's original instruction and brings it back to its simplicity. But then she adds something to it that we didn't hear God say at the beginning. And you must not touch it. It's so, so important for Christians to know what God says directly from what he said in his Word, rather than relying on other people's translations, and teachings, you need to know what God said in his word. You need to hear it firsthand, because people will add things to it, He didn't say Okay, verse three repeated. But God did say, you must not eat the fruit from that tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. Now, apart from adding the extra bit, did Eve get the must not eat, and the you will die a bit correct? Yeah. Does God lie? No. In Hebrews and other scriptures it says God cannot lie. So for reasons unbeknown to Eve at the time this one particular fruit from the one particular tree would result in death according to God. Did God mean what he said when he told Adam and Eve they must not eat from the tree or they die? Do you mean it? Is God to be trusted and obeyed? Yes. So I wonder how the devil is going to get even Adam to become double minded on this one. I have heard what God said. How's he going to change their minds? Get them double minded. Verse four. Satan says you will certainly sorry, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. What has the devil and his corrupted wisdom just done? He's turning around, he's told two walking lies, isn't he? The first lie is, God is a lie. What he says is not true. It's empty and there's no reality in it. Now, when, cast your mind back to reading James 1 and God telling you, if you can ask ask God for wisdom, he will give it generously without finding fault. When you read that, because I know you've read it many times, many of you, particularly in trials, and God says, ask me, I'll give you wisdom. Have you ever thought to yourself, yeah, I wish. Maybe others would get God's wisdom, but I never seem to do. Or I'd like to believe that's true, but I doubt it. Have you ever had that thought? In reading something like that, or that particular promise? You are hearing and believing Satan's corrupted wisdom, worldly wisdom, earthly wisdom, not hearing God's wisdom. In that and the second lie that Satan told Eve, and Adam, who was just standing silent next to her, do you think, is God is not for you, he's against you. You can't trust him. He's not really for you. He's against you. He's holding you back. but a selfish, a stingy. It's to your detriment that we're going to say. So those are the two lies that Satan's corrupted wisdom, worldly, earthly, demonic wisdom has suggested to Eve. Has it worked? Has Satan got Eve to become double-minded? Mm. He's definitely sowed the seed of doubt, is not he? But let's see what else might help that seed of doubt to fully germinate into double-mindedness. Okay? Verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye... Now, I'm not sure if Eve was even hungry when Satan approached her and talked about that fruit but it seems like she is feeling hungrier now. You probably know from experience that even when you think about eating some food, your mouth starts to water. Yeah? Which is part of how you are fearful and wonderfully made. Isn't it amazing? That God made you in such a way that even before you eat the food, just thinking about it, your body starts to get prepared your mouth produces saliva, your stomach starts to produce more acid just to help the digestion process. It's a good and godly thing to have this appetite for food. He even created you to enjoy this sustenance while you're eating it. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that wonderful? The problem isn't our desire for food and our enjoyment of food. The problem is when our desire and enjoyment of food overcomes our desire for God. Our desire to obey our desires rather than God's desires. That's where the problem lies. God made our bodies to firstly please him. Sadly, our fallen, earthly nature of our bodies is to firstly please itself. Is that true? 1 John. Looking over a couple, I think. Yeah, there we go. 1 John 2 says this, The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. Satan's corrupted wisdom, which now fills the world, sowed doubt in Eve's mind about God's integrity. And now, basically saying God is a liar, he's not true, you can't believe him. And now, compounded by Eve's own lusts of the flesh in her eyes, she saw that the fruit tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye. It's, yeah, I'm feeling hungry now and it looks lovely, it looks delicious. Double-mindedness is definitely setting in. Satan's wisdom sowed the seed, now her own lust of the flesh are now compounding it, and she's becoming double-minded. Now, we've recovered Eve's lust of the flesh and the lust of her eyes, which we all wrestle with too. But is she also battling with the pride of life mentioned here in 1 John 2, which is also the reasons for Satan's wisdom becoming corrupted? Okay, let's read verse 6 again of Genesis 3. When the woman saw the fruit tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom. So yes, Satan has pushed all three buttons. Not only is Eve's stomach and eyes involved, but her pride for gaining wisdom. Self-betterment too. But whose wisdom is on offer? Remember, she saw the fruit was good for gaining wisdom. Whose wisdom? Is it God's wisdom? No. It's earthly wisdom. Okay. Is Eve's faith going through a trial right now? Yep. Is her faith being tested? Yep. According to James, when our faith is being tested by a trial, what help can we get in order to persevere and mature? remember? God's wisdom. In the world of wisdom, God's wisdom. And what would be God's wisdom in this current matter, this current trial that Adam and Eve is going through? Yeah? Frustratingly, Adam and Eve already knew what God's wisdom was on the matter. Do not eat that fruit. Simple. Well, what happened to Adam and Eve? Let's read again. Verse 6. When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. How often have you already known the wisdom of God on a matter? And yet because of the lusts of your flesh, Lust of your eyes and the pride of your life, you have become double-minded and decided to follow the world's corrupted wisdom instead. How often does that happen? Maybe often feeling like you didn't have a choice in the matter. Yeah? What should Adam and Eve done in the midst of this trial? Well, they're already armed with God's wisdom, so they needn't ask God for more wisdom. They already know his wisdom. And they've already been given dominion and authority over every little living creature on the earth. So they've got the wisdom, they've got the power and authority. What should they have done? Know and go, basically. Know go. Get out of here. So why didn't they? So simple. Why didn't they? Why don't you? Because we're rubbish. Well, oh, you're, you're a born again believer, spirit filled, now loved by God. That that excuse doesn't cut it now. It's because Satan is so so cunning, and the lusts of the body and the soul are so strong. That's why you fail. Satan is so cunning, and the lusts of your body and your soul so strong. Satan is the master of getting believers and unbelievers double-minded. Dangling his corruptive wisdom in front of us and then using our own appetites to win us over. In that case, what hope do we have? How can we be in a better position not to give in to our double-minded nature and receive and retain God's wisdom from heaven and thus persevere through trials and with joy and growing immaturity and completeness. Okay, last couple of screens. Who knows how to put the heating on? Who's got the heating finger skills? There we go, John, thank you. Okay, this chap is called Tertullian, a second century Christian who is perhaps the most famous for being the first Latin writer to basically come up with the theory of the Trinity. He's the first Christian writer to write the word Trinity. Okay, second century. And he wrote this. Adam had received from God the law of not tasting of the tree of recognition of good and evil, with the doom of death to ensue upon tasting. I hold, therefore, that from the very beginning the murderous gullet was to be punished with the torments and penalties of hunger. Now, in Tertullian's opinion, when God commanded Adam and Eve not to eat the forbidden fruit, he was initiating the first ever human fast. You can eat everything but that deliciousness over there. Sadly, it didn't take much for them to choose food over God because of their bodily loss was so strong. And Satan was so convincing. Centuries later, God gave the Israelite people a larger list of foods they must not eat in order to be set apart for him. But when Jesus came, because his once and for all sacrifice for our sinfulness on the cross and our righteousness with God suddenly became through faith in him and what he did, and not in other sacrifices and rituals and abstaining from foods, suddenly our relationship with God became through faith in Jesus Christ. He paid for it all. It no longer meant that foods were unclean for Christians. We no longer had a list of foods we should not eat. However, even though God had instructed that Christians needn't abstain from any types of food, Jesus did say that Christians would fast. He didn't say you might fast, he said when you fast. So if there's no specific foods that God has asked Christians to abstain from, then why does God ask Christians to abstain from food? It's the same reason why Adam and Eve chose their flesh instead of God. Food instead of faith. Followers of Jesus are required to fast for the same reason as it was in the beginning. Satan is a master of getting Christians double-minded and not receiving from God dangling his corrupted wisdom in front of us and then using our own appetites to win us over. It's what Jesus warned his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane. Next slide. You remember what Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing by the flesh. think unfortunately for any Christian who loathes the idea of fasting the watch part of Jesus' caution most likely includes fasting okay finally and this is the last slide Athanasius, here we go 3rd century, Bishop of Alexandria said this about fasting, we are educating and training the body to live outside of the tyranny of his own lusts For by these means we shall have strength to overcome our adversaries. Advisories. Yeah, sorry, that's me. As much as our lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life won't like to admit it, we are kidding ourselves if we think we can be the Christian's that God desires us to be on this earth without fasting. Without individuals fasting, without the church fasting. Because, as we've said, we fail because of our double-mindedness. The lust of our eyes, the lust of our flesh, the pride of life, and Satan's corrupted wisdom whispering to us as well, often overcomes us. We choose flesh over God. food. Do we want to be less double-minded and more obedient? Do we want to be able to see more wisdom and joy in our trials, knowing that the testing of our faith produces maturity and completeness? Nothing, nothing. Shall we dare to embrace learning about and even practicing the subject of fasting? say let's go for it and see where it leads. Satan hasn't changed. Our fallen nature hasn't changed. Yet God has given this amazing gift to the church of prayer and fasting. Just like Jesus told his disciples who failed to help that person struggling with a demon. This kind can only come out in prayer and fasting. There's something about fasting Added to prayer that God has given his people Old Testament and New Testament that overcomes the power of the enemy, overcomes the suggested wisdom of the enemy, overcomes even the lust of our eyes, the pride of life and the lust of our flesh, to see God working in our trials and producing this amazing maturity and completeness, lacking nothing as a church Ministering to a dying world. Let's go for it.